Hey, I'm Molly, and I'm the host of the Did That Age Well podcast. Each week, my guests and I recap and review movies from the past, and we talk about how they hold up. I'm joined by comedians, writers, friends, and podcasters to talk about the cringeworthy to the timeless classics. We break them all down and share some laughs as we do it. So find us at milehighlife.com or follow Did That Age Well wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Drew Goodman. Guess what? Like everybody else in America, I have a podcast. Actually, I've had it for four years. Download it at all of your favorite places you get podcasts. I have great guests, guys like Ryan McMahon, Dan Issel, Hall of Famer-to-be Albert Pujols, current Hall of Famer Larry Walker, Adam Schefter, and we kick around subjects locally, regionally, nationally. So download it and tell your friends. The Drew Goodman Podcast. Catchy name. is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Denver Broncos aren't pondering such heavy issues since they are still in contention in the AFC West. But last week in icy Buffalo, there were a few jolts before victory could be claimed. One such reminder of mortality came on number 22, Steve Freeman's interception return for a touchdown. But the Bronco defense answered with a big play of its own, a fumble recovery for a score. First all-world inside linebacker Randy Gratishar, number 53, recovered the fumble. He then realized that a man with better foot speed, number 20, Louis Wright, was nearby. The eventual transfer was easier than a bank transaction and just as profitable. Along with the 86-yard play was a Craig Morton to Haven Moses touchdown bomb and a last-minute field goal. Amidst the frozen tundra that has become a Buffalo trademark, the Broncos still felt a warm glow after a somewhat chilling 19-16 win. That sound, of course, from NFL Films. You can tell with that classic music of the uh, the transaction being a pitch. Harry Callis on the voiceover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the, uh, the late, great Harry Callis. Broncos won that game back in December of 1979. They knock off the Bills. Um, remember, uh, 19. Remember it well. Um, I thought I, you might. I I was working for um, the radio and television side at uh, Channel Four and KOA Radio, which were together in the same building on Lincoln Street at the time. And as they returned from Buffalo, I was uh, out there doing a live shot. And I remember talking to the late Jim Turner as he got off the plane. His field goal proved to be the difference in that 1916 affair. And, yes, December 1979, that was my first year in town. And uh, I remember that Sunday afternoon quite well. Yeah, Turner with the 32-yard field goal at the final uh, score of the game, breaking the 16-16 tie. The Broncos win that game to go to 10-4, and uh, Buffalo at 7-7. All but clinch a... a playoff spot. A playoff spot. The, but the Bills no, coach at that time, Chuck Knox, who a lot of people think of later being the uh, the Seahawks head coach as uh, well. Which he was mm-hmm. uh, in uh, the 1980s up in Seattle. But, uh, yeah, a classic a classic Broncos win in Buffalo. And over the course of their history, not a lot of those. Uh, and and the Broncos need to get one tonight. Tonight, the yes, Monday Night Football Buffalo game. has never been especially hospitable. 
And for anybody. Uh, but for the Denver Broncos in particular, uh, finding a way to get it done tonight. Look, this is the the things in the NFL. <laughs> the NFL being the way it is, with the uh, the most wins ever coming on basically buzzer-beating kicks uh, in the history of the NFL. You find yourself, if you're the Broncos, in position, amazingly, that if you could somehow steal a win, despite the fact you'd be four and five, you're not entirely out of pocket to say we're not dead yet. The, by virtue of not losing yet, at least, the Broncos moved up a spot. Uh, they jumped over the Tennessee Titans, who were three and six. Were they to win, they'd find themselves tied with the Jets and the Chargers, who, by the way, are playing. Uh, apparently, I have no idea what's going on with that defense, but they're not paying attention to what the offense is doing uh, that they're facing off against as the Lions just cut through them like the proverbial yeah, hot knife um, through butter. Uh, you know, I, I, I have to think, especially if they don't make the playoffs, it's a virtual guarantee that uh, Brandon Staley's days are numbered as the head coach for the Chargers. Uh, uh, Herbert was back in form yesterday, and that offense is humming. 38 off Detroit is no small uh, D. No. Uh, Baltimore scorched them a few weeks ago, but otherwise that defense has been pretty good all year. And, you know, that was the 38-38 game the Detroit managed very intelligently down the stretch to uh, kill the clock uh, just as they were getting set for the game-winning field goal and not giving the Chargers a a chance to uh, respond. Uh, Five of 12 games played yesterday in the National Football League ended on on a field goal goal. with no time remaining on the clock. Five of the 12 games ended that that way. It was... uh, a screwy Sunday in the National mm-hmm. Football League. But it means for the Broncos that if they could find a way to win this against a Bills team that is uh, unquestionably better than them, but let's say wobbly right now, I think is probably fair. They're dealing with injuries. Uh, they haven't really seemingly invested in a running game, save Josh Allen doing his thing. And that is their running. Game. That gives the Broncos a bit of a chance. And so if they were to win this game all of a sudden, they don't jump up that many spots getting to four and five. They, uh, they, re- they, they, they really, I you think, stay where they are because... Well, they've they, lost they, to the Jets and they haven't played the Chargers. Well, I know. And, you know, their conference record, they have one win. Right. Inside the AFC. Yes. This year. Now, it was against Kansas City, strangely yeah. enough. You're right. That's so the only right. AFC team they beat. So, you're right. They would not so actually move up at all. Season. So, so, they wouldn't, they move, wouldn't up. move up at all. But uh, they'd, they'd lose to the Jets, as you say, on head-to-head. Uh, the Raiders are now 5-5, five and five, so they can't catch them. Indy's 5-5. Five and five. Uh, Even Buffalo at 5-5 five and five, uh, would be ahead of them by half a game, although they'd have the tiebreaker mm-hmm. on Buffalo. And uh, Cincinnati, of course, 5-4, uh, and four, and everybody else is in the playoffs including Houston now at 5 and 4, Cleveland Pittsburgh at 6 and 3 and of course the division leaders at the top Kansas City 7 and 2, Baltimore 7 and 3, Jacksonville 6 and 3, Miami 6 and 3. Um, results yesterday that I I think by and large if if the Broncos were somehow to manage to uh, win this game and then they've got up next the hottest team in the National Football League, it's won 5 games in a row 
all without Justin Jefferson. Yeah. Minnesota Vikings, one and four with Justin Jefferson, five and oh without Justin Jefferson. And two and oh without Kirk Cousins. Maybe maybe there's no reason to rush Justin Jefferson back well, after Jefferson all. They're, they're talking about maybe, back. maybe week 13. Yeah, 100%. So Jefferson will it. not play uh, most likely uh, here on Sunday night in Denver against the Broncos. But uh, tonight's game, good news and bad news, Sean, from okay. the statistical front. Uh, the Bills with Josh Allen, a quarterback, have won 82% of the time coming off a loss. Sean Payton is one of the great coaches in the history of Monday Night Football. The record of 17-9, and nine, that's a winning percentage of 654. Only two coaches historically better than that on Monday Night Football. Mike Tomlin, 21-4 and four with the Pittsburgh Steelers, a winning percentage of .840. And Andy Reid, 24-12 and 12 on Monday Night Football with the Eagles and the Chiefs, a winning percentage of 667. And in the month of October, the greatest coach currently operating the National Football League is Sean Payton, 44-13, and 13, mm. well ahead of Bill Belichick's 82-32. and 32. Wow. Well, th- those are good signs. Now, I'll get, I look at another one, of course, Josh Allen, you know, is, is the running games, also throws when he's outside the pocket. Uh, coming into this week, leading the NFL with six touchdown passes outside the pocket. That's how he operates. Uh, tied for the NFL lead last year with Patrick Mahomes with, with nine of them. Uh, 2021, he had 12 of them. The challenge is the Broncos don't cover that very well. And and when you saw the game that they won against the Chiefs, they worked on keeping Mahomes in the pocket where they can do a little better. When players get outside the pocket, the Broncos are 27th in opponent passer rating and 28th in EPA per dropback, a negative number for them. So it's imperative step one for the Broncos defense to find a way to at least contain Josh Allen and make sure that he does not get to run around outside the pocket and then improvise. You have to find a way to at least hem him in. And then, yes, you have to be concerned about the run because if you build it around him, he may step up and run. But that's going to beat you slower than letting Josh Allen roll around and find somebody downfield. Yeah. Uh, Allen is, is one of those guys who went outside the pocket becomes considerably more dangerous. Here's my other trivia question, at least for this segment. Okay. Who, in his coaching debut, was the last Denver Bronco coach to win on Monday Night Football? In his debut. In his debut. Coaching debut. Ooh. First is first coach at first game is coach. In at fact, this coach, if you count preseason games, got off to a better start than any coach in the history of the Broncos, with the exception of Josh McDaniels. Okay, so my first thought, of course, is Josh McDaniels with that six and zero start, but that's not the case. Monday Night Football. Monday Night Football started uh, 1971, 1970, something like that. 1970. Okay, we, oof, we have to go but way back. This, this is the last time the Broncos won a Monday Night Football game, and uh, it commemorated the coaching debut of uh, 
a Bronco coach from the past. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, think about that. Our number is uh, 303-831-1340. I know some of you out there probably know it, so uh, let us know on the text line. The, I would have gotten this, but it would have taken me a while. Yeah, which tells me I'm probably not going to get they it. They have lost seven <laughs> games in a row on Monday Night Football. Yes, they uh, have. Those seven games, uh, most recently, was October of last year. Broncos aren't on Monday Night Football very much anymore. That's what happens uh, when you're not a good team. The, the uh, Chargers beat them out in Los Angeles in overtime 19-16. They, of course, lost on opening night, the opening Monday night of the 2022 season, the coaching debut of Nathaniel Hackett. So you can eliminate Hackett from possible uh, answers here when they were beaten in Seattle 17-16, the famous I'll take the 64-yard field goal rather oh, than trust Russell Wilson. Yeah to uh, make a first down game. Uh, one of the famed Vic Fangio uh, clock mismanagement affairs took place on Monday Night Football, uh, opening Monday night of the season, September 2020, Tennessee 16, Broncos 14, in a coaching fiasco uh, perhaps unmatched in uh-huh. the history of the Denver Broncos, at least on opening day yeah. or night. I seem to remember... Um- Minnesota game later in the year that was even more uh, egregious, but yes. The coaching <laughs> debut of Vic Fangio, another one you can cross off the list. Mm-hmm. September 9th, 2019, in Oakland, 24-16, to 16, in spite of a very, very strong performance from another Bronco making his debut, quarterback Joe Flacco, mm-hmm. who was outstanding uh, that night against the Raiders. Um, nobody else showed up. And I mean, literally, nobody on <laughs> offense or defense showed up other than Joe Flacco. He was left by his lonesome when the Broncos were soundly beaten. Uh, Christmas Eve 2018, the Broncos lost in Oakland 27-14. October of 18, 27-23 to the Kansas City Chiefs. The Broncos had a 10-point lead with uh, under six and a half minutes to play and managed to blow the ball game. Uh, an almost certain... Uh, streak-stopping victory for the Broncos against the Chiefs. Uh, Again, one of those games where the Broncos snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. And then in 2017, on October 30th, they were crushed by the Chiefs in Kansas City 29-19. So uh, that's the list of seven straight Bronco losses on Monday Night Football. But our question remains, in his coaching debut, did the Broncos win last on Monday Night Hmm. Football? And you should honestly no by now <laughs> since we've eliminated a, a few a, a few, few for sure the the situation here just strikes me that, that you know the broncos believe they've gotten better maybe they have gotten better we'll get into it more as the show goes along but those opening two losses by one point to the raiders by two points to the commanders both at home you win those you should have won both those games you should have won both those games. You win both those games. Now, all of a sudden, you're 5-3, and three and you're legitimately in the mix. Even if you win one of those games, you're 4-4, four and four, a win tonight, you're 5-4, and four, and you're in the mix. But there's uh, a reason that bad teams lose correct. games like the Broncos. And that's the question I have, because this week, I have talked to so many fans in the, in the bye week and over the course of the weekend who... Basically have it, I would say, more or less split down the middle 50-50 that the Broncos are going to win tonight. That, that, that they look at the recent game, they look at the win particularly over Kansas City, and they look at it as Sean Payton they're apparently looks at it into one and win. says, well, now they're back. No. Now, that was a law of averages win. And listen, 
Uh, Kansas City beat itself much more than the Broncos beat them by turning the ball over five times. And, yes, most of those turnovers are completely unforced. Um, just silly, sloppy mistakes by a team that, frankly, um, still number one in the AFC, is in a position that particular day not to care very much whether they won or lost. And they didn't care yeah, very with much. With a quarterback who was sick. and uh, you know, Half yeah. the team was sick. Half the team was down. Russell like, Wilson, Sandy, with, has uh, not thrown for over, you think I'm going to say 300 yards. I'm not. Russell Wilson well, yeah, hasn't yeah. thrown for over 200 yards. Not over, he hasn't even reached 200. Right. In the Broncos' past four games. Right. I will now, posit. He does have two 300-yard games. He does have on the season, but it's been four straight games in which he hasn't even gotten to 200 Correct. as Sean Payton continues to tighten the screws and make sure that Wilson doesn't limit limited things. Uh, for four-fifths of the field, he does. But we'll get into uh, some of this uh, other minutia but, but I will to explain this. why uh, on one-fifth of the field, Russell Wilson is allowed to, uh, to coin a phrase, cook. Uh, the rest but of it, for right 80 yards, uh, he basically is kept under wraps. I don't think they can win this game tonight with him under 250. I, I think they're gonna. I think you're gonna have to find a way to compete, and I think they have to get Russell Wilson to. I'm, you know, it's not a statistical benchmark. You say we have to get him yards, but I just think if Russell Wilson's under 250 yards passing, they don't win tonight. I just don't see it. At a certain point, I get it. You're trying to sort of game the system uh, by making sure that that you're using Wilson's decision making in only certain parts of the field and not trusting it in other parts of the field. But we talked about this last week. Wilson's best numbers, best numbers still to this day are when he throws the ball down the field. When the ball travels more than 20 yards down the field is when he's the best. And that's what Sean Payton absolutely does not want him to do. He does not want him to do. I think you'll have to do it. And I think, quite frankly, that's part of the reason Marvin Mims doesn't get on the field. Because Marvin Mims immediately creates a temptation to chuck it downfield. Well, you you know the four-fifths of the field I'm talking about, the one-fifth of the field uh, that I'm talking about. Uh, separate from the four-fifths of the field. You know exactly where that is. And I, I'll make this and point. And it's in the red zone I'll where he's been point. surprisingly yeah. very yeah. good. And, and, and we'll get into that later on. But I want to make one point around the offensive line because uh, we haven't talked very much about the offensive line. And uh, we were chatting before we started today. I believe uh, uh, starting five on the offensive line has missed two snaps this year. Uh, Lowest so in all of football. Just, right. Now, uh, they haven't been very good. Uh, a lot of the time, but they have been durable. Um, Quinn Miner said something last week that uh, caused me to uh, sort of chuckle because it was kind of an umbrellas cause rain argument. But statistically, in the NFL since 2000, when a team rushes 40 times or more in a game, they win 92.5% of the time. 749-61-2 mm-hmm. is the record. Now, of course, umbrellas don't cause rain. <laughs> and if 40-plus rushes guaranteed you victory, you would simply run your first 40 plays on the ground. You would hand off 40 times, and you'd say, hey, we're at 40 rushes. Cause and effect needs to be um, calculated properly yes. uh, here. Yes. Um, the reason teams are able to rush the ball 40 or more times is that they generally have huge leads and uh, in the NFL, even nowadays, when teams, uh, although the Baltimore Ravens would uh, give lie to this uh, position, when teams are uh, ahead by more than two scores, 
they almost never lose at any point right. during the course of the game. We'll say this, though. We're talking about uh, the most recent three games of the Broncos. Week six through eight, the Broncos seventh in the NFL in rushing attempts with 88. Third in yards per rush at 4.7. And on 50% of their rushing attempts during this period, they have faced at least eight men in the box. My question is... That's impressive. Do we have it at least partially wrong? Maybe Sean Payton doesn't distrust Russell Wilson so much as he distrusts his offensive line. Interesting Especially point. in pass protection for Russell Wilson. Only five. So they run, and they at least the last three games, they've run and run and run and run and run from their own one-yard line to the red zone. That's all they've done pretty much. Uh, again, the starting five has missed two snaps He's gotten this a good year. look at them. Uh, the... Uh, Second rated during this period, uh, running block win rate belongs to the Denver Broncos. Cushionberry is number 17 among interior offensive linemen in run block win rate. 14 Broncos, as we mentioned the other day, have played with uh, Vaughn Miller. At least at one time, Vaughn Miller's closest friend among those 14 who remain, one Garrett Bowles, who may or may not see his fair share of Vaughn Miller tonight. Only five teams have had their starting five together for even more than 65% of the snaps. The Broncos are one of them when you look at EPA over average for those five teams, the Falcons, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Bengals, and the Broncos. The Broncos and the Bills are exactly the same in EPA over average. Zero. Completely average offensive lines, but they have been durable and they have been together. And when you've thrown them together, that matters. So perhaps trending in the right direction. We'll talk more about this later. Trending in the wrong direction, the Colorado Avalanche and their head coach is sick of it. Strap in because Jared Bednar had some things to say after their last loss this weekend. We'll hear next on Miley Sports. We wanted everything, wanted everything. Mama said, don't give up. It's a little complicated. Hey, I'm Molly, and I'm the host of the Did That Age Well podcast. Each week, my guests and I recap and review movies from the past, and we talk about how they hold up. I'm joined by comedians, writers, friends, and podcasters to talk about the cringeworthy to the timeless classics. We break them all down and share some laughs as we do it. So find us at milehighlife.com or follow Did That Age Well wherever you get your podcasts. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Well, Danny Bailey doesn't need Monday warm-up. Just them straight into my own worst enemy. That has been it for the Colorado Avalanche of late. Uh, the Avalanche, believe it or not, after their 6-0 start, have gone 2-5 and since, and some of the losses have been ugly. The 7-0 loss in Vegas, of course, prior to that, two shutout losses on the road to Pittsburgh and Buffalo. We didn't really look at that as a canary in the coal mine, Sandy, because we thought they'd been off such a good start that no big deal. But uh, they knock off St. Louis in between that loss to Buffalo and Vegas with uh, Prosvitov in net. Then they beat the Devils, but then they lose to the Kraken in a game uh, at home that they 
quite frankly, should not have lost. And then they get blown out at Ball Arena on Saturday night by the St. Louis Blues, who, by the way, 10 days earlier, they beat 4-1 to one with the backup in net. Right. And they get smoked again. Now, we've been hearing back against Buffalo with Kale McCarr. And, by the way, now that was that was tail end of last month. Kale McCarr dodging injury and then pointing out that even he went, that the injury was even maybe even his fault because he was too casual going into the corner. And effort for the abs at times has seemed to wane. Now, I get that at times. You, you see this with teams that are championship caliber, that some of it bores them. But Jared Bednar, after the loss oh, he went quite to the Blues. A bit further than simply saying his team was flat. Yeah. And it was one of those nights. We we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna give you uh we're gonna give you the whole thing. It's, it's about five it's a, minutes. You have to hear the whole thing. Keep in mind this is Mr. Measured Jared Bednar right. and this where nothing is, is too high and let's, nothing is too low. Keep in mind as you listen to this, this is very measured, but it's the best example of measured rage. Not unrestrained rage. We've heard that before from coaches, and we have all the clips through all the years of uh, Jim Mora and former Chicago Cub managers and Tommy Lasorda and uh, Herman Edwards and Dennis Green. We we have all that. Red Miller, uh, after a loss in Pittsburgh on Monday night, uh, did much the same thing. Red Miller was as red as a human but being can be. that's not Jared Bednar. That wasn't Jared Bednar even the other night, but the rage in all of this, measured though it was, unmistakable. I think this is the second blowout in the past eight days. Just what's plaguing you guys right now? Everything. I mean, we're getting no played. Goaltenders get no played by their goaltender. Forwards are getting no played by their forward. D are getting no played by their D. Not for not for the whole game, but for big enough stretches that that's why the score gets run up. You know, third period was a joke. That was the worst period of hockey I've ever seen from our, from our club. If I was breaking down that game, I go first five minutes, six minutes. We get five or six grade-A scoring chances. Binnington makes a bunch of big saves. We hit two posts. They come down, first three goals. Like They're all routine coverage for me. Soft and loose, and we give them the opportunities, thinking our goalie's going to save it. He doesn't. It's in the back of our net. It's 3 nothing. Come out in the second, readjust, play hard, probably out chance in 2-1 to one or 3-1, to one. get out of the period 1-1, one, one. right? Their goalie's kicking. We're not putting in the back into that. They come down, get a chance in the back of our net. And the third period's unacceptable, unexplainable. But that's why it's blowout. Stop playing. Luckily, we couldn't make it past 10 feet in the third period. Giving up odd man rushes every five seconds. Every rush attack they had ended up in a scoring chance against. Not good enough. It's just guys quitting and not, not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Feeling sorry for themselves. What are the next steps I guess you take to remedy that? Go to work. You're going to work through it. You're not going to work in the game. You're going to work in practice. Is the, I guess, the work ethic and practice a concern too, or is it just? No. Okay. It's just the mental side of quitting as the game goes 
Coach, you, you, you just used the word quit a couple of guys in the locker room. You used the word quit. Is that how you saw that third period? That Absolutely. There's no other explanation for it. Piss poor execution. Guys giving up all over the ice, not doing. Like, I mean, okay, you're at five, what is it, five one? And we're still trying to like tic-tac-toe passing the phone booth at their blue line. That's just not like to hope to maybe get a scoring chance. You want to just kick it in below the goal line and go to work. So we give up, what, two or three more grade A scoring chances on breakaways and turnover. How many breakaways do they have in the third period? Three? Two of them end up in the back of our net. I mean, seriously? They're all from just like little turnovers at the blue line. We get it back. One of them we got back, I think, was three or four times. Everything's tightened up. It's broken down. There's no rush attack option. We're still going to try to make like, what, three foot passes to when guys are right in the area trying to check us. It's like ridiculous. Are you seeing enough out of the leadership core when things kind of go wrong to kind of talk the guys through these issues? No. Well, if we did, we wouldn't have done it. Is this an easier, well, easier harder might be the wrong way to put it, but just if there was like one definable thing, like we just have to fix this and we'll be fine. But this is like, this seems like there's things going wrong in many different places. Yeah, when, well, I mean, hey, listen, when you, I get the frustration, right? You come out flying, you're getting all these chances, it doesn't go in, they go down, get one off a shoulder, hits a stick, hits two guys on the way into the net, and it's one nothing. Okay, we keep playing. But like, the, I did not like the errors in the first period to lead to 3 nothing. I've already said that, right? So, But you have no choice in this game but to continue to play and play as hard as you can possibly play. As soon as you don't play as hard as you possibly play, another team's going to make you look bad. It starts there. you know. I don't feel any better coming out of this. Actually, I, I probably would. I'd feel better coming out of this game if it was 4-3 than what it ended up. But... There's still, like, we have work to do in a lot of different areas. It's not like they're not putting it in. or But I just don't get the, the overall frustration, the fragmentation of the group, the, the quitting on the work ethic. Like, it, that's what happens when you do that, you know? Sometimes you just have a bad night and, and, and things don't go your way. But I just I don't understand not just laying it on the line and at least doing what you can do to to, you know, play with some pride. Have you seen signs that this was coming, or is this catching you by surprise? Catching me by surprise, yeah. I, I know his play is connected to the rest of the team, but Gary is in a bit of a rough stretch. Just what's your concern level with the goaltending right now? Same as the rest of the team. Now, he went on to say, as there was more, he went on to say, they don't want to work in a game, we'll work in practice. And the only thing, the only thing that saved them from a bag skate yesterday was injuries. The only thing. And if there is any semblance of what we saw in a third period tonight in Seattle, that bag skate will be forthcoming. They did and that's play the Seattle only thing tonight. that saved them yesterday from being skated up and down the ice as Herb Brooks once famously did with the U.S. Olympic hockey team after a substandard effort. Now, Jared Bednar is not Herb Brooks in terms of temperament, but that controlled rage was apparent there, and the term quitting was used on three separate occasions. Quitting? I count them. One of the words three that, that athletes don't like times. hearing. 
quitting all over the ice. Well, I don't care if they don't like hearing it. Right. It's true. And at least two players in the locker room after the game used the same term. And that leads me to the other word that he used that, that I think was an interesting one to look at. Fragmented. Yep. Fragmented. Yep. When referring to his roster. Now, remember, half of the forwards, a full half of those forward lines are new. Six of the 12. Uh, the, the defense is the same. The goaltender is the same. The backup goaltender is is different, obviously. But fragmented is not the word you want to hear. And he pointed out specifically that this team had no issues with putting the effort in at practice. He, he pointed that out. He said, practices look fine. Games, we've heard Kale McCarr say they were casual. Now we've heard players say they're quitting. Well, we heard the coaches say they're quitting. Well, how, how are these nice guys not getting up? Four games. The third period was what stood out. And I went back and I watched it. Mm-hmm. Okay? And the first two periods, I watched two. The third period was nothing like the first two periods. There, were, there, there was, obviously they didn't play well. The first two periods. And they let their frustration get to them. The third period, they just flat out quit. And the list of guys who didn't quit is a much shorter list than the list of guys who did quit. And I'll give you the short list, and by process of elimination, you can figure out the rest. Jonathan Drouin gave an honest effort the other night. Um, (laughs) Logan O'Connor gave an honest effort. You know who gave an honest effort? The guys who were quoted in the locker room. Right. After the game, Josh Manson gave an honest effort. Jack Johnson gave an honest effort. Those four. Everyone else. That's not good. Quit. Everyone you else. Including McCarr, McKinnon, including McCarr, including McCarr, including Taves, including McKinnon. Quit. McKinnon had four giveaways. A player of his caliber shouldn't have four giveaways in a month. He had four giveaways. He might have been the worst player on the ice. This team has a tendency, and we've seen it at times, of being, and Ben and I referred to it multiple times in that press conference, of being too fine, looking for the tic-tac-toe passing, just trying to go back and forth. I I get it. I don't know if this team's so talented that they kind of want to develop highlights. I don't know, but they they do overpass. That kind of thing is laziness. They do overpass. But it was laziness the other night. And you need somebody who is going to, and he said himself, take it to the goal mouth. No, they don't want to skate. Does anybody want to drive the net? They want to skate. And I've seen good players have bad games. Val Nashushkin quit and had, to my way of thinking, as bad a game as I've seen a supposedly good player have in, well, since the Avalanche had 48 points. And remember, Bednar has a keen memory. He's saying this third period was worse than anything he saw during a 48-point season. He's he's ever seen from his team. Yeah. Yes. Ever. And he isn't one of those guys who forgets about years once they're past or forgets about games once they're over. He has a very good memory. And what he is saying, he has never seen a period in which his team stopped playing. And if you watch the period, it was comical. And I 
suspect, and rightfully so, that from what I saw, the St. Louis Blues, after they were scoring goals, were laughing at the Avalanche. Laughing at them. The Avalanche in their last four games have been outscored 22-11. to 11. They And are by the way, doubled up. the goaltender's not exempt either. Right. I think you heard your He has had yeah. a save percentage in his last seven outings of .842. You can't start for a peewee team in goal with that low a save percentage. Well, the goaltending situation isn't going to get much easier, by the way, because the Avalanche have news about their longtime backup. May have played this last game in an Avalanche sweater. We'll explain it next on My Life Sports. Hey, I'm Molly, and I'm the host of the Did That Age Well podcast. Each week, my guests and I recap and review movies from the past, and we talk about how they hold up. I'm joined by comedians, writers, friends, and podcasters to talk about the cringeworthy to the timeless classics. We break them all down and share some laughs as we do it. So find us at milehighlife.com or follow Did That Age Well wherever you get your podcasts. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Well, unfortunately for the Avalanche, not not a huge surprise, but unfortunate. Pavel Francouz uh, was placed on long-term injured reserve. Wasn't expected, I think, by most to come back this season. He will not. I, I don't know why it was yeah. out there. I mean, the idea in with the long-term injured reserve is was coming back yeah. at some point. I, I don't know how that. Rumor I don't started. quite get that one either, but Francois done for the year and is flying back to Europe. He is a free agent after the season, and you have almost certainly seen him play his last game in an avalanche sweater. Forget about that. Last game in the NHL, I would suspect. More he's than in likely. his 30s. He's 33 years old. His, he's 33, and if he plays, he'll play over in Europe. Um, but I, I don't know. He's had for... Oh, the better part of the last two years, Mm -hmm. severe injury problems. The last time he played was when they benched Georgiev, which they may be on the verge of doing again, and they sat him uh, for a majority of the games after he had a blow-up in Vancouver last January and started screaming at his teammate, Kale McCarr, on the ice during a game, which is embarrassing for all concerned. And Jared Bednar... In a very subtle way over the next two weeks, basically benched him. Now, he played in one or two games, but most of the time it was Francois. Well, then Francois got hurt, and he had no Francois only played two more games game. after January 26th last yeah, year. Yeah. That, that was the it, end of it. Right. But basically, yeah, he was, he's been hurt for two years. Yeah. And if you're breaking down in your 30s, listen, goaltenders can have long shelf they lives. They can. Uh, some Often, of them are yeah. late bloomers. Uh, but when your body starts to break down, whether you're a goaltender or a skater, when your body starts to break down in your early 30s, and remember, you're he's not, not going to get not a healthier. big guy. He's no, listed no, at he's a little guy. And that's pounds. his whole game. Right. His whole game is mobility. Uh, the two strengths he brings is one, he's left-handed, and it's unusual to see a left-handed goaltender. 
the the other strength he brings is his quickness. Um, getting back to Georgiev for a second, every shot, high glove side beats him now. I, yeah, I don't know what's going he's on. He's a mess. Every shot, high glove side. Now, Benner was right in the first goal. It bounced off a St. Louis skater in front, and then it hit Gerard in the hand. And Gerard gets a minus for that, but, you know, that's just one of those things. Gerard played miserably enough. So did Byron, by the way. I want to ask it, it, that uh, I get a mulligan uh, because among the players who did not quit the other night, uh, Devontae's did not right. quit. Uh, this this is something that usually doesn't happen. Minutes are usually given to the most deserving players, right? I think the other night, the most minutes went to the defensemen <laughs> who weren't apart from Johnson and Manson, who I thought tried. The other four guys, their top four defensemen, the minutes went almost as a means of punishment. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm going to put you out there and keep putting you out there until you try, which is why Gerard had the most minutes, second most minutes McCarr, third most minutes Byram, and the only guy out of those four who tried was Taves, and he only played 20 and a half minutes because – the five guys who played weren't going to be subjected to the embarrassment. Bednar kept throwing out the quitters in the third period the other night, and uh, they got, you know, I mean, uh, it, you could tell how bad Nashushkin was because no other four got more ice time than he did, and that was punishment too. Are you, you, you going to play a no-hitter? Okay. Maybe I can't bag skate you tomorrow because of all our injuries, but you're going to go out and play tonight and of course there's no effort so um it, it, and and I, I'm sorry I know he's had out of how many games have they played now 13 mm-hmm. he's had two or three good ones otherwise I don't know what's going on with him but he returns to the scene of the crime and again I'm putting air quotes around right right that, right because there was actually no crime right that he was accused of having perpetrated Correct. but he's back at the scene of the crime last night uh or tonight he's back and if he doesn't play with his hair on fire tonight he's a guy you got to get rid of the abs are in seattle tonight the 8 p.m tip of course uh same time as the broncos but you'll be able to catch a little bit because you know the end of it should wrap up uh, after the broncos as well if you were going to focus on the football but i i I, it feels like a lot of guys need to play well in this uh they have now lost to well about 13 guys need to play with a little more effort. Yeah, 13. A lot more effort than they did the other night. 13. I'd say There's out of the 18 skaters, skaters so. <laughs> 13 quit in the third period particularly, and five played hard. And again, Jack Johnson, Manson, Taves, O'Connor, and Druen are exempt from the criticism I think that Bednar offered. And I his list may be slightly different from mine, but I doubt it's much different from they mine. They have split... Uh, with Seattle already, of course, they won the first game in Seattle, and then they lost the second game at home. The home team has lost both games. They get Seattle again. Uh, they play tonight. Seattle much better in Seattle than they do here. Oddly, yes, and uh, that, that's born itself much out better, again. and that was true in the playoffs last but year. But it, ha- it, it you really need to see this has been a bad four games. I mean, I get it; they they beat New Jersey, but still coughed up three, and yeah. fortunately, you yeah. scored six. But you've been doubled yeah. up. 
22 to 11, you're coughing up more than five goals a game in your last four. Uh, oh, what is it? 37, 38 goals against last nine games? Yeah, the, the give, yeah, the I giveaways mean, are 4.2 goals per game. Are way, way, way up. Yeah, I mean, if you go back even further, that was just the last 38 four. 38 goals against the last nine games, 4.22. The previous three before those four, I counted. Remember, they were shut out twice, four to zero. I mean, it's been bad since their 6-0 start. They all of a sudden just fell off a well, cliff. I, I, I think, honestly, uh, the first four out of those six were really, really good. The last two the Carolina were 6-4, 7-4 yeah. games. And that began the defensive deterioration that hopefully culminated the other night when they just flat out quit. And the only guy who got angry after any one of those goals was Prozvatov, and he was yelling at the officials because there are people in the, 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 he thought, in the crease or interfering with him. And I'm saying, well, it sure as hell wasn't any of your teammates interfering with you. That's for sure. Yeah, they because were, they, they weren't, weren't anywhere in the vicinity. No. And things don't get easier. Uh, Andrew Cogliano, of course, expected to be uh, out. Our Trey Lekin, and we know, is out for weeks. Uh, weeks. And, uh, Boy, that hurts. I, I, weeks isn't months, but I'm leaning toward months rather than weeks. Certainly one. And, and you know, the, Certainly the, one the, month. The, the poor uh, guy, uh, Kelly Oubre, who, uh, of the Philadelphia 76ers in the car accident the other night, mm-hmm. I, I don't know the details of it, but that's one of those, he'll be out weeks, which is more like months. And though it wasn't a dirty Mm-hmm. I want to emphasize that. So it wasn't a dirty play. Arturi Lekkinen was in a car accident the other night. The the equivalent of a car accident. The, the same way that Kelly Oubre got hit by a car. A hit-and-run driver hit him. Yeah. Because he was crossing the street the other night uh, around Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And it, it, he'll be out weeks, maybe months. And I think it's the same. Yeah, they, they, the, the term was significant, obviously. Broken rib injuries to his hip and right leg oh, yeah. for Ubre, And, uh, yeah, hit and run while walking across and, the street. And uh, I'll tell you, it, I, I was, uh, you know, I follow the 76ers now a little more. Uh, our friend George Carl has a son, as we all know, mm-hmm. who uh, is on the bench for Nick Nurse. He's an assistant coach in Philadelphia. So, and, and they've been terrific. They've and been less James Harden, uh, more fun to watch. Well, that, absolutely. And, uh Maxi scored 50 the other night yeah. and dedicated his performance. He said he was thinking the whole game about Ubre. Yeah. And Ubre, nice I, I know Ubre well. He played at Kansas. Uh, I, I watch every game Kansas plays, and I saw Kelly Ubre play in every game he ever played at Kansas. And he wasn't the most talented player that Bill Self ever coached. But in terms of, uh, we're talking a lot about trying and. You know, the old phrase is no medals for trying. That's right. what you're supposed to do when you're a professional. Mm-hmm. But he goes beyond trying. He's left-handed. He's physical. He's not built uh, as a, a great physical specimen. But, boy, is he aggressive and he's smart and he's tough. And he's one of the reasons the 76ers got off to the start they did this year. And they dedicated the game to him the other night. They're a completely different team. And by the way, so are the Clippers for the worst. They have not mm-hmm. won in three out right. of James Harden. Right. Isn't that fascinating? And, and, and they will not make the playoff. I'm telling you, they won't make the play-in they, tournament they don't with James like Harden. It. They, made they a, will they not made a mistake. make the play-in tournament. They made Major a mistake. And how mistake. stupid do you have to be 
But, you know, this is what happens when you let players run your organization, and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George wanted James Harden. Yep. I don't know about Russell Westbrook. I, I imagine he probably but did. He That's probably put in a, he probably didn't object. And you know what? Westbrook, Leonard, and George were fine. You throw Harden into that mix, that's a different L.A. fearsome foursome. That's a fearsome foursome that will never win for you. And in my opinion, won't make the playoffs for you. And that's the best thing that happened to the Nuggets all week, last week. And you know what? I, I We'll talk about the Nuggets a little we, later we on. We will. Big news I, I there, thought, too. I thought the Nuggets played a good game last night. Certainly not a great game. They lost. But I'll tell you what. In place of the L.A. Clippers, yeah, you might, want to, not want to you might want to start thinking about the Houston Rockets, who have a young mm-hmm. center, and I think I'm pronouncing his name uh, correctly. Uh, Alperin Shangoon. Shagoon. Yeah, Shangoon. He is Shingun. Uh, right. Shangoon. He earned praise from Nikola Jokic last night that I rarely, if ever, hear Jokic. Do Jokic doesn't praise himself first, right? But Jokic went out of his way to commend this guy. He says they're building their team around this guy, yeah, this guy, and he is an example of how you have to play against Jokic, and accept the fact that Jokic will still go for thirty six points, twenty one rebounds, and eleven assists, and still play great. But on the defensive end, this kid exploited Nikola Jokic last night and went 23-8-5 with a steal, two blocks. And, yes, he was a minus player over 35 minutes, but he didn't get killed by Jokic. And, of course, when Jokic wasn't playing, the Nuggets got blown out. Yeah, Houston jumped up, uh, made two different, uh, traded two different first-round picks to jump up and take that pick from the Thunder, the 16th overall in that 2021 draft. This, this that looks like it is, was a real good move. a Great because remember earlier player. in that same draft they picked one Jalen Green with the number two pick that works out pretty well too. He's so. he's pretty good too. He was plus ten and thirty five. Houston last Oklahoma night. City teams to watch out for. And of course, we'll keep an eye. We'll talk more about Absolutely. the Nuggets. In They'll be a bit. in the playoffs. Both those the teams Avalanche the and the Kraken go off tonight. We'll see what the Avs have uh, in store. That tonight's got to be a good performance. They have to find a way to perform well tonight. So did the Denver Broncos. If Sean Payton's idea of the Broncos potentially being a playoff game, a playoff team is going to be true. They have to win tonight. That's it. Your playoff hopes are on life support. Now you keep winning and maybe they keep going. That's okay. But you must win tonight. How can they do it? We'll talk with our friend McMiller, Fox 31, about that next. Hey, I'm Molly, and I'm the host of the Did That Age Well podcast. Each week, my guests and I recap and review movies from the past, and we talk about how they hold up. I'm joined by comedians, writers, friends, and podcasters to talk about the cringeworthy to the timeless classics. We break them all down and share some laughs as we do it. So find us at milehighlife.com or follow Did That Age Well wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, everybody, it's Drew Goodman. Guess what? Like everybody else in America, I have a podcast. Actually, I've had it for four years. Download it at all of your favorite places you get podcasts. I have great guests, guys like Ryan McMahon, Dan Issel, Hall of Famer-to-be Albert Pujols, current Hall of Famer Larry Walker, Adam Schefter, and we kick around subjects locally, regionally, nationally. So download it and tell your friends. The Drew Goodman Podcast. Catchy name.